0: The noise you folks make it joyful how's that amen okay uh one announcement that i have here is um 798 in the Red Hymnal. (coughs) 798 in the Red Hymnal. Let's begin. If the Lord delights in a man's way, he makes his steps firm. I was young, and now I am old. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. Turn from evil and do good. Then you will dwell in the land forever. They will be protected forever, but the offspring of the wicked will be cut off. The mouth of the righteous man utters wisdom and his tongue speaks what is just. The wicked lie in wait for the righteous, seeking their very lives. Wait for the Lord and keep his way. I have seen a wicked and ruthless man flourishing like a green tree in its native soil. Consider the blameless, observe the upright, there is a future for the man of peace. The salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. The
1: Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the and saves them, because they take refuge them Father in
0: heaven, may you bless the reading of this psalm that it may touch the hearts of the lost. But, Father, more importantly, reinforce the hearts of those who are within your grasp. This we ask in the name of Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Our first hymn for this morning is taken from the hymnal, page 498. 498 in the hymnal. Joyful Noise.
2: I've got peace like a river. I've got peace like a river. I've got peace like a river in my soul. I've got peace like a river. I've got peace like a river. I've got peace like a river on my soul. I've got love like an ocean. I've got love like an ocean. I've got love like an ocean in my soul. I've got love like an ocean, I've got love like an ocean, I've got love like an ocean in my soul. I've got joy like a fountain, I've got joy like a fountain i've got joy like a fountain in my soul i've got joy like a fountain i've got joy like a fountain i've got joy like a fountain in my soul thank you please be seated
0: Our congregational for this morning is, uh, Janelle, you had a pick uh, already. Okay, what page would that be on? 475? 435.
2: empty Sorrow's shame. Jesus knows our every weakness. still our refuge take it to the Lord in prayer do thy friends despise or seek thee take it to the Lord in prayer <clears throat> in his arms he'll take and shear
0: Our scripture reading for this morning is taken from the book of John, chapter 15. It'll be in verses 9 through 17. And when you get to that, please stand with us.
1: Me, so I have loved you now remain in my love if you keep my commands you will remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. my command is this love each other as I have loved you and greater love has no man than this and appointed you as, so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, <coughs> and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. As good the Lord
0: You'll turn with me in page 460 of the hymnal. <laughs>
2: Savior leads me, cheers each winding path I tread, gives me grace for every trial, feeds me with the living bread. Though my weary steps may falter and my soul Gushing from the rock before me, lo, a spring of joy I see, gushing. From Above, when my spirit clothed immortal wings its flight to realms of day, this my song through endless ages, Jesus, lead me all the way. This my song through endless ages. Just led me all the way. Thank you. you please be seated.
3: Our scripture this morning is John 15, verses 9 and following. From John 15, we have been studying what it means to remain in Christ, the vine, as true branches. And of late, we have been looking at the positive incentives to do this. For one, we have the promise of answered prayer, if we remain. For number two, we have the assurance that we are proven disciples. That is borne out by the fact that we bear much fruit for God and it proves or demonstrates discipleship. The conditions being profession of faith is not enough. Life of faith, of obedience is the proof. We're living our faith. And as Christian people, we are changed people and produce much fruit. Second condition being that the fruit must be of the kind which glorifies God, which is to say that busyness in religious activities is not sufficient. You have to read Matthew 7. the works there can be done from an evil heart. Jesus says so. So the fruit which glorifies God is your own sanctification. You become holy like Jesus. Not what you do for others or to others. We drew out a couple of lessons. Number one, the fruit which God approves and which glorifies him is the fruit in us of a change character from evil to good as we abide in Christ and secondly the production of fruit pleasing to God is a cooperative effort between the true disciple of Christ and the Holy Spirit thirdly we learn that repentance is more than saying oh I'm sorry no repentance means change it means Stop doing the evil and start doing what is right before God. And today we continue on looking at the incentives that Christ gives in John 15 to remain in him. It's wonderful that he tells us, it doesn't just say remain, remain, remain. He says that, remain in Christ. But he gives us incentives to do what he's commanding us to do. And that is what we're looking at in this text. As we come to today's study, let us seek the Lord's enablement. Our Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to guess at it. Thankfully, John, a disciple of Jesus, followed him about the last living apostle, takes us not only through his gospel, but through the letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and also the entire book of the Revelation. One of the prolific writers of the Scripture is this disciple, John. No wonder the Scripture says he was the disciple Jesus loved. Lord, we long to hear that acknowledgement as well as we're faithful to your word. Now, we're not going to be writing scripture that is all done. The book is finalized. We praise you for that. But we can be a living testimony to the truth of the scripture. And as I have said a number of times, we are the Bible that the world reads. They're not into the book, but they sure watch us when we claim to know God through Christ. Bless the truths to our heart. Bless only what is truth in Christ's name. Amen. Our text today is in John 15, and we're looking at the incentives to remain in Christ. I didn't invent the incentives. Christ himself gives us incentives to remain with him. We've looked at a number so far, the promise of answered prayer, the promise of answered I mean, did we really catch that? Not, well, I hope he answers my prayer, but the promise of it. Secondly, the confidence of a proven discipleship. We're not bragging when we say we're a disciple of Christ if we have a proven record of those things which define a d- disciple of Christ. And now we're at point three. Point three third incentive, the comfort of knowing that you remain in Christ's love. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. We hear a lot these days about God's love for people. We are told that God loves everybody. We are led to believe by some preaching that love is all that God is, that his other attributes must take a backseat to his attribute of love. Oh yeah, he has other attributes, but boy the key thing is that god loves us we hear that he loves his people with a special love a discriminating love that is superior to his love for mankind in general we have comparisons made between god's love for his people as a father and the way we should love one another in his family. So an awful lot is said and continues to be said about the love of God. One important assertion made is that God always loves. Christian songs are written which say, in effect, God loves you just the way you are. The idea being that men as sinners don't have to change. They don't have to repent. God loves them. Ah, sin and all. This definition is of a God whose love is all embrace. Anyone is welcome to his love and it matters not if they obey God or live their lives as they please, God still loves them. What about all of this? Does God love everyone? Does it make a difference as to how people respond to God in order to be loved by Him? In our text, Jesus says a lot about love, from verses 9 and following. Let's consider his teaching on love under three headings. Number one, the quality of the love to which Christ calls us and which we will enjoy if we remain in him. Number two, the qualifications or conditions for entering into and enjoying Christ's love. And number three, the exemplary, exemplary life by which we are to pattern ours if we want to have the assurance of resting in Christ's love. Firstly then, the quality of the love to which Christ calls us and which we will experience if we remain in him, verse 9. Here it is. As the Father has loved me, So, I have loved you. Now, remain in my love. Here we are given a clear command by Jesus, remain in my love. But what is the nature of that love? With what kind of love has Jesus loved his disciples? Answer, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. What an utterly amazing statement for Christ to make when we stop to analyze it. Jesus here makes the comparison, as the Father, so have I. Whatever men may think about the love of God for them, I think there are few among us who would dare make such a comparison by telling others that we have loved them just as God has loved us. I don't think we would dare to do that, even if that were our goal. If we have any understanding whatsoever about the sin of our own lives and how that sin mars even our best actions, we could never conclude that we love others like God has loved us. His love is perfect. It is without flaws, without malice, without ulterior motives, devoid of manipulation, devoid of selfishness. But our love is often flavored by one or more or all of these things in time. Yet Jesus does tell his disciples that he has loved them just as the Father has loved him. The Father's love for Christ becomes then the standard of Christ's love for his people. It is as though Jesus is saying to us, if you can discover and understand how the Father loves me, you will have some grasp of what it will mean for you to experience my love. And Christ may speak so authoritatively because of his unique oneness with the Father. John 5 verse 19, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. That's pretty clear. Verse 30. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Concerning his miracles, Jesus said, Know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. John 10, verse 38. So Philip, Jesus said, Anyone who has seen me, to to Philip, Jesus said, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Philip, how can you Say, show us the Father. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who's doing his work. Now, brethren, all of these texts show that Christ and God the Father are one in nature, one in thought, one in design, one in speech, one in actions. So if we can discover how God, the Father, demonstrates his love for his unique son, Jesus, we will have a handle on the love Christ promises to express towards us if we remain in him. The Bible portrays some very beautiful qualities of God's love for his son, which by extension, explain how Christ loves his faithful disciples. In his prayer at Gethsemane, the night of his arrest, Jesus said to his father, and I'm quoting, You loved me before the creation Boy, there's something to think on the night of your crucifixion. But that's what Jesus thinks on. Father, you loved me before the creation of the world. So here we are taken by Christ back to a time when there was no time, back before there was a beginning, before our universe, before a creation. A prehistoric time when the only people around was God in Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus confesses in his prayer that God the Father loved him even back then. So too it can be shown that the Father... And Jesus loved us. Who are their children and brothers, respectively. When we were no more than a thought in their minds. Speaking of himself, Jesus said, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Matthew 25, 34. This is the offer of King Jesus to his subjects. And he's telling them that a kingdom had been ready for them since the creation of the world. A kingdom in which righteousness and truth reign supreme. To this kingdom they were destined, for the kingdom was prepared with them in mind. Again, Revelation 13, verse 8, tells of all the people of the earth worshiping the beast. And he writes, all whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the Lamb, that's Christ, that was slain from the creation of the world. Hear the sacrifice of Christ in redeeming love on his cross, which brings life and which by faith brings that life to all believers is said to have been a done deal in the mind of God before the creation of the world. The ultimate sacrifice, which Jesus mentions in our own text, verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends, was not, was not, an afterthought with God, but central in his plan to redeem from lost humanity a people for his name. And that the love of God was the motivation here is not in doubt. Because in Ephesians 1, verse 4 and following, this believing church was told, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure of His will to the praise of His glorious grace which He has freely given us in the one He loves. Now brethren, these scriptures are rehearsing the electing love of God and His Son Jesus for us, his people. Just as the father loved the son deliberately, intentionally, unequivocally, irreversibly by name. So we have been loved. It was not, it was not that God looked down the corridor of time and saw it on July 15th so and so would hear the gospel and believe. And so, seeing that he would believe and choose Christ, God therefore chose him. Uh, That is the common explanation of electing grace. (laughs) But no, before there were any corridors of time to look down, before time and grace before human history emerged, God's love was fixed upon us who be lead. And his love preceded ours. Indeed, activates and animates our love for him. We love him because what? He first loved us. unless those dead in trespasses and sins be given life from the loving Christ they will remain in a state of hostility and alienation from God Romans 1 and verse thirty calls mankind apart from God's grace haters of God haters of God but Christ loves us indeed if God sets his affections upon us though we be dead in our sins Ephesians 2 verse 1 we then have this assurance because of his great love for us God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions by grace you have Ephesians 2 verse 4. And may I say, this is why salvation is is of grace. It's because of our deadness to spiritual things. Life cannot come to us by our own doing. Dead people do Nothing. You know a dead person that does something? Nothing is not something which is commendable to God. Thus we are passive until life is given. And then it is that we begin to act. Yes, then we repent and have faith and come to God. John says the believers are children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. That's where birth comes from, John 1, verse 13. We have the same thought in Jesus' words in our text, verse 16. You did not choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and bear much We read that and we say, wow, that's, that's really humbling. Yes, it's humbling. But do you recognize this morning that this is one reason that salvation comes this way? Salvation is of grace. It is by a faith that God gives to a heart, made alive by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me read on. Not from yourselves, not by works, so that no one can boast. Ephesians 2, verse 9. That's why it comes that. Do you know that God deliberately chooses the foolish of the world instead of the wise and the noble in order that no one may boast before him? 1 Corinthians 1, verse 21. He also says in verse 31, same chapter, Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Peter warns God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. There are professing Christians who will argue this very point, And they say, but I had to believe. But I had to believe. But I had to believe. You can talk about God's electing grace all you want. But I had to believe. And they say it just that way. Which is to say, I had to have my part in it. And I do have my part. I think the faith that saves was theirs better for you to have your pride abased to have your arrogance curbed and your self-righteousness nullified and to be the subjects of Christ's electing law than to maintain your integrity Defend your righteousness and be separated from Christ forever and ever. Verse 6. Am I speaking to any here this morning? You are maintaining your personal integrity. You admit to no sin or at least to no sin worthy of the judgment of God. The words of Christ, apart from me, you can do nothing Verse 5, falls on your deaf ears, because in your heart you protest. No, I can do something. I'm not handicapped. Oh, sure, I have my faults. But don't we all? If this is you this morning, listen to the words of Christ. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Luke 5, verse 31 and verse 30. You may be like this self-righteous person of whom Christ speaks. You say to God, Oh, I'm not sick. I feel just fine. There's nothing wrong with me. I was listening to a report on um, high blood pressure. I was interested because I had high blood pressure. I wanted to hear this. The doctor being interviewed said that people over 40, oh boy, got me there too, uh, people over 40 should have their blood pressure checked once a month. I check mine once a day. I got other things like a transplanted kidney, so I have to watch that. High blood pressure is called, by the doctors, the silent killer. Have you ever heard that? It's the silent killer. Silent because people with sustained high blood pressure are a stroke waiting to happen. And the words out of their mouth, after being stricken with the stroke, are these. But I, I felt fine. I mean, I was just going along in life, minding my own business, enjoying life, not overly worried about anything, not subject to extraordinary stress and bam, I'm down flat on my face on the floor. The reason high blood pressure is so dangerous is because you're dead with a stroke before you detect the problem. That was my fault. Felt fine. Right up to age 100. Walked into my sister's bedroom. He was living with her at the time. <laughs> Fell flat on his face. Sandy, I don't feel good. Down The reason high blood pressure is so dangerous is because you're dead before you detect the problem. You t- You feel fine until you don't. Christ comes to minister to sinners, to people who are walking dead men, though they don't know it. They say, Lee, I'll oh, leave me alone. I, I feel fine. Sin's wages are death. But payday hasn't arrived yet. And so they see no need for God's forgiveness in Christ. by the time they realize that they should have been taking their spiritual pulse and blood pressure, it's a little too late. Jesus knew about this terrible and damning sin of pride in the human heart when he told the parable of Luke 18 to some who were confident of their own righteousness, and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and he prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, get it now, twice a week, and give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. He beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Then Jesus gave the outcome. I tell you that this man, the sinner that wouldn't put his eyes towards heaven, I tell you that this man rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I ask, in which category would you classify yourself this morning? Some here today may have a humble look on the face, but a proud look on the heart. You're in jeopardy of losing heaven's ground. Jesus taught that none but the poor in spirit shall inherit the kingdom of God. You'll find it in Matthew 5, verse 3. Poor of spirit, not proud in spirit. Yet I would say that Jesus even died for the sin of pride. Even for the sin of self-righteousness. He loved his people as the Father did in before the creation of the world. This is an eternal, unchanging love. has its roots in eternity past. The second quality of the Father's love for Jesus, and thus of Jesus' love for us, his people, is given in John 5, verse 20. Let me read it. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Hmm. Father loves his son, and shows him all he does. Skeptics of the Bible like to pounce on this verse, and others like it, which appears to deny, appears to deny, the omniscience of Christ. They say, "See, Jesus cannot be God because he says in his own words that God the Father shows him what he does." Well, if he has to be shown what the Father does, it means he didn't know beforehand. A wonderful example of false logic. There it is. There are many other scriptures which demonstrate the fact that Christ is omniscient. In John 2, verse 24, Jesus tells us Jesus would not entrust himself to them, the leaders of the day, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man. He knew what was in man. Ooh. Or in addressing the skeptics of the audience of his day, Jesus said in John 6 and verse 64. There are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. Matthew 9, verse 4. Speaking of the religious leaders, knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? What was the evil thoughts? They're plotting to crucify Christ. Now obviously there is mystery here, but part of the answer is Jesus self-emptying, described in Philippians two verse seven, made himself of nothing, he says, taking the very nature of his servant being made in human likeness, all of that being true, nothing of Jesus' deity was taken from him when he came to earth, but something was added to him, something heretofore which he had never experienced, that is, he would become a man. The place of servant was added to the place of son. The nature of humanity was added to his divinity, and he became the God-man. Sometimes the Bible describes Jesus in his humanity, in his servant role, and this is how we are to understand John 5, where the Father is said to show the Son what he does. Jesus is viewed as a man dependent upon God for his wisdom, just as we are dependent. We live by the Word of God, and Jesus lived by the Word of God. Verse 10 of our text, I have obeyed my Father's commands and I remain in his love. The point of all this is what Jesus said in John 5, verse 20. The Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Jesus is saying that one way in which God shows his love for him is by disclosing his mind to him, letting Jesus in on the thoughts and the plans and the intentions and the will of God, taking Jesus into his confidence and disclosing to him the secrets of his heart. Now the premise upon which we are studying this quality of love in Christ for us as his people is this, as the Father has loved me. So I have loved you. Wow. Okay, that being so, and we having just discovered that one way the Father showed his love for Jesus was to let him in on the mind of God, we would expect that Jesus will let his people in on his plans, right? Well, this is precisely what we find in our text. Look at verse fifteen. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. Or again, Matthew thirteen, eleven the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, my disciples, but not to them, the people at large. Wow. We're in a special spot. Luke 10, verse 22 and 23. Puts it this way, all things that have been committed to me by my Father, no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal. Wow. He goes on and says it this way to his disciples. Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but they did not see it. They wanted to hear what you hear but they did not hear it. This, my people, is the quality of Christ's love for us as his family. It is the love he called us to before the foundations of the world were laid. It is a love wherein he takes us into his confidence and shows us the knowledge And wisdom of God. What the embodied Jesus did. With the apostles. The spirit of Christ does within all of us. As Jesus promised. When he the spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all the truth. He will bring glory to me. By taking from what is mine. And making it known. To you. John 16, verse 13 and 5. And Paul put it this way. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may freely understand what God has given us. 1 Corinthians 2, verse two. Not only do we get the goods, the wisdom, we get the means whereby to understand it. And all of this is due to love, brethren. Exclusive love. Jesus discloses to his people the mind of God and he deliberately refuses to make himself known to the arrogant world. Listen to his prayer in Matthew 11, verse 25. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, this was your good. To any here today who find it difficult to understand the Bible and to implement its principles for life, it may be that you're just young in the Lord and you need to exercise your spiritual wings a little bit more, like a robin about to leave its mother's nest, or it may be that the Spirit of Christ is not in you at all, because you have not come to Jesus in repentance and faith. To have a knowledge of the Bible, to understand the wisdom of God, one must have the Spirit of Christ within. This is his gift to all who believe and to none else. He wants us to understand his word, but it's going to take the Spirit of God to discern it. Paul put it this way in Romans 8, in verse 9. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Verse 5, same chapter, Romans 8. Those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. you may be very restless in your life, very frustrated. You don't know which way to go. And sometimes it's because of all the turmoil in your family. Just watch the news. Or not. <laughs> Maybe not the world of unbelievers is like a it's like a world set adrift it has lost its moorings it's lost its tie to the creator and if this is you you need to come to Christ to God's son today and become fastened to the rock that never moves he never moves. doesn't have to. He never changes. Oh, well, I like a person that will change. No, you wouldn't if that were God. We change because we're imperfect. We change because we're sinners. If God changed, he wouldn't be perfect. The scripture says he's the same today, yesterday, and forever. Solid rock. You know that's why we trust the Bible? It is. How do you know? Christ will receive you and save you if you trust in him because he said it and somebody an apostle in this case John wrote it down it's a done deal there is nothing that secure in all of humanity The world is always changing. It's always coming up with a new something. Or discarding an old something. The crisis is all of The same today. Whatever he said. As the expression goes, you can take it to the bank. It ain't going to change. The children of Christ experience His love, His electing love, His self-disclosing love, a love that treats us like members of God's family. For such we are by grace. And that does not change. May we trust this Savior that is sought like that. The same yesterday, today, and forever the same one John preached a thousand years ago. We have it written in Scripture. What was taught, what was believed, how Jesus functioned, what he taught, how he lived. It's all there. May we believe. Father, send your Spirit upon us. Grant to us your faith, the saving faith that comes from you, not our own personal faith. Our own personal faith is terrible. It doesn't believe anything spiritual or supernatural. It just trusts in itself. That is faith that is damning in effect. We need the faith that looks outside of ourselves to the God who is the creator of the universe, creator of life itself, and the orchestrator of death and all that is involved for those who disobey. Bless and honor yourself this day for your glory. Save whom you will, O Lord Jesus. Please, save somebody, one person today as you see fit in Christ's name. Amen. Our closing hymn is 284 in the hymnal. We change it? Okay, what is it? in trend
2: Mm-hmm.